Thank you, Todd and Heidi, for that ministry in music. As we think about death and dying, we realize that some deaths appear to be tremendously tragic, for they seem, by all outward circumstances, as being senseless. Senseless in that it seems as though there is no purpose or rhyme or reason for what has taken place. For example, you think of those Columbine shootings a number of years ago, or you think about 9-11 and all the people that lost their lives uh, in that great tragedy. So many innocent people dying. And so we wonder about those deaths. On the other hand, there are deaths that are very purposeful. They are purposeful in that the person dies for a reason or for a cause, such as the death of a martyr. A martyr is one who suffers death in order to advance a religion or a cause. Or in a broader definition, a martyr is one who sacrifices something of great value, especially life itself, for the sake of principle. These deaths are intended to make a statement. The deaths of martyrs serve as examples and are intended to be inspirational, to stir the followers, to continue on and cause that cause to go forward, creating awareness on the part of others. Christ's death is unique. It's unique in that, first of all, it certainly was not senseless. It was not tragic in that sense. For it was a purposeful death. But Jesus' death was not a typical martyr's death either. For Jesus' death was efficacious or effectual. Meaning that it brought to pass what Jesus intended through that death. While it is true that Jesus' death serves as an example to us, and the scripture calls on us to have the same mind and attitude that Jesus had when he suffered death and was willing to be obedient unto the Father, even though his death serves to us as an example, it's far more than just an example. There were real benefits that we accrued as a result of Christ's death. Christ's death accomplished more than simply being inspiring to others to take up the mantle and to do likewise. Jesus died to bring about a desired effect. Jesus died to bring us to God. Jesus' death is at the very central climax of Jesus' ministry. As we think about Jesus' life, we might marvel at it in the sense that Jesus was here on this earth but 33 short years. 30 of those years, Jesus spent preparing for his public ministry. 30 of those years, we know virtually nothing about. We know about his birth. And then we get a glimpse of his life at about 12 years of age. When he's at the temple and asking questions of uh, the rabbis. 
Then we're told that he returns home and is obedient to his parents and continues to grow in wisdom and stature. And then silence from the time that he's 12 to the time that he's 30. He has three, three and a half very brief years of ministry. Think about really how short that is. Pastor Dave has been with us longer than three and a half years. I'm in my 30th year. That's about nine times as long. Think about that. Jesus ministered for three and a half years. And one might wonder, was everyone healed that had diseases in that three and a half years? The answer is no. Was everyone fed who was hungry by that three and a half year ministry? The answer is no. Did everyone hear the voice of Jesus? Did everyone see a miracle performed? Had everyone even heard the name of Jesus in that three and a half years? And the answer to all those questions is no. Because as important as all those things are, and as beneficial as all those things are, the centrality, the main reason for Jesus coming to this earth was in fact to die. To die. That was his mission. That was his goal. That was his purpose. To die and to rise again. As we celebrate communion, we focus upon the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor Heller in his prayer mentioned that there are two ordinances of the church. They are, both, they are baptism and they are communion. And it should not go without our notice that both of those center on the death of the Lord Jesus. In baptism, we symbolize our union with the death of Christ as we are placed under the water. We die with Christ. As we come up out of the water, it symbolizes our having risen with Christ. Of course, communion celebrates and commemorates the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, where he shed his blood for us. It's all about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as we get ready for communion, as we prepare our hearts, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. And I am going to exegete just this one verse. 1 Peter 3, 18. Just this one verse. My message is extremely simple this morning. I hope that the youngest children among us can understand the message this morning, for it is the central element to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter 3.18 reads, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. This morning we look at the design of Christ's death as given to us in 1 Peter 3.18. The first element of that design is the reason for Christ's death. And we find out that Christ died as a punishment for sin. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also 
died for sins. Christ died on account of sin. Romans 6.23 states, For the wages of sin is death. That which sin deserves, thus the word wages, that which is earned, is death. We deserve to die because of our sin. But notice, if you would, in 1 Peter 3.18, that sins is in the plural. For Christ also died for sins. And in the plural, it teaches us a very important truth. Our sin isn't but one. Our sin is many. One sin would be enough to cause us to be worthy of death, of eternal judgment, of damnation. God requires perfection of us. He is holy. And those that come to him must be holy as well. And as we think about sins... I would liken it unto a murderer. If an individual commits one murder in those states that have capital punishment, they are worthy of death. They are worthy of execution. But there are serial murderers. There are a handful of people that have committed as many as 20 murders. You know, those individuals that commit 20 murders go through a series of trials. Even if after the first trial, they are found guilty and worthy of death, they continue to be tried. And time and time and time again, they may hear the verdict that they are guilty and they are worthy of death. Jesus Christ died, not just for sin. He died for sins. He died for every sinful act that we will ever commit. Every sin is placed upon Jesus Christ. Everything for which we could be found guilty. Everything for which God could be displeased with us. Everything that would make us unacceptable to God. Jesus bore our sins. The beneficiaries of Christ's death. It was sinners who benefited from Christ's death. Notice 3.18. For Christ also died for sins once for all. And now the next statement, the just for the unjust. The text states that he was just in the New American Standard, the NIV translates it, righteous, righteous. When the scripture states that Jesus was just, it means that Jesus was righteous, sinless, and most importantly, acceptable by God. We talk about being justified. 
to be declared righteous. It's a legal term. It's a legal term. Hence my illustration just a few minutes ago about a court of law. Jesus was found to be righteous in the sight of God. Totally without sin. Totally acceptable. So, why did Jesus die on the cross if he were righteous? If he were totally acceptable to God? Answer, because the righteous died for the unrighteous. Or the just for the unjust. We are the unjust. We are the unrighteous. The scripture states that God commended his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us when we were in a sinful state. Not as a reward, but as grace, as mercy, as compassion. He died for us who were sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus died in the place of the unjust. Notice 3.18. For Christ died also for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. There are two different Greek prepositions used in verse 18 that are both translated into English as the word for. The first is found in the phrase, Christ died for sins. That's a preposition that denotes cause. We could translate it on account of. Jesus died, Christ died on account of sins. The second Greek word, translated as for, is found in the phrase that Jesus died the just for the unjust. And we read that and we might say that Jesus Christ died on account of the unjust. But that really wouldn't be a correct reading. That's the first four. He died on account of sins. But the word that's used for four in verse 18, Jesus Christ died for the unjust, that word means on behalf of or instead of. He died in place of the unjust. It wasn't just that he had us in view. It wasn't just on our account. But it's in our place. He died. That's why we use the term substitutionary atonement. He died in our place. He bore our punishment. Literally. Literally, he bore our punishment. Our sins, in their plural, were placed on him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He that is God the Father made him Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The value or worth of Christ's death is seen in the simple phrase, in dying once. In dying once, Jesus paid for all of our sins for all time. 
Jesus died once. Notice 3.18. For Christ died also for sins once. Once. He didn't die a second time. He doesn't need to die a third time, a fourth time, or a fifth time. And Jesus is not continually to die on the cross. That is a reason why when you come into this church, as all Protestant churches, when you look at the cross, it's not a crucifix. It's not Jesus hanging on the cross. Jesus is no longer hanging on the cross. Jesus is off that cross. He died. But he's not in a tomb. He rose again. He rose again. When we take communion, another important distinction is that we refer to our ministers as pastors. We don't refer to them as priests. And that is very important distinction. We don't understand communion as a sacrifice. We understand communion as a commemoration, a remembrance. We don't see the blood of Christ at the communion table. We don't see the bread of Christ, uh, the body at the communion table. We believe that they're symbolic. They represent. They're not present. We are not offering Jesus anew and afresh today. We are not partaking of Jesus anew, afresh today. Because the atoning work of Jesus Christ is not ongoing. It's finished. It's done. It's over. God looked upon the travail of his soul and was satisfied. satisfied. Jesus died once for all. And when the scripture uses this term once for all, it's saying once, and it's not talking about for all mankind. That it's once for all time. Once for all time. Listen how consistently this phrase is used in the scriptures. Hebrews 7, 26 and 27. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. This he did once for all when he offered up himself. In the Old Testament, the priests continually were offering sacrifices. That didn't happen anymore. Because Jesus died once for all time. Hebrews 9.12 And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Once for all, having obtained eternal, everlasting redemption. The word redemption means to pay a price. He paid a price once 
That's good for all eternity. Removed the sins of the people for whom he died forever and ever. Never to be remembered again. Nothing else to be paid for. Hebrews 10.10 By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This was portrayed very vividly and sovereignly by God in the very moment that Jesus died, that in the temple the veil was rent in the most holy place from top to bottom, showing that now there was entrance into the very presence of God. And in the sovereignty of God, just approximately 40 years after Jesus' death, the temple was destroyed. So it would be absolutely impossible to offer sacrifices to God. Mark of the Covenant, God. Table of showbread, God. Brazen altar, God. To demonstrate that even if someone wanted to offer those sacrifices, it would be impossible. Because Jesus did it once for all. What that teaches us is that there remains no more punishment or suffering for sin. There is no debt to be paid. There is nothing more for Jesus to do to take away our sins. Nothing more. It's done. And there is nothing more for us to do who have trusted in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. It isn't Jesus' death and our penance. It isn't Jesus' death and our good works. It isn't Jesus' death and our giving. It's Jesus' death. Period. That makes us acceptable to God. Through His death, the justice of God is satisfied. The object of Christ's death in 1 Peter 3.18 is that He might bring us to God. Notice, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that He might bring us to God. That phrase, bring us to God, is a phrase that is pregnant with meaning that gives birth to a whole host of ideas. And I have four here, and there could be more. Bringing us to God teaches us, number one, that we have access to God through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10.19 Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Ephesians 2.18 For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So that to bring us to God means that he is able, if you will, to introduce us to God. We who did not know God introduces us to God. Teaches us about God. Brings us to God. Secondly, to bring us to God includes the idea of being made acceptable to God. Colossians 1.22 Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. 
He brings us to God. Introduces us to God. And because of the death of Jesus Christ, we are acceptable to God. God looks upon us with favor. God welcomes us into his presence. God makes us a part of his family. Because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. To bring us to God includes the idea of being reconciled to God. Romans 5.10 For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we should be saved by his life. And not only this, but we shall also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, he has brought us to God. He has brought about a change in us. We were enemies to God. I mentioned Romans 5.8, but God commended his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were rebels, and he bore our sin. Our sin is gone. But we know, and you and I both know, that we still commit sins. We still do wrong things. We still violate the will of God. But Christ paid for all those sins. All laid upon him. But what he has done, because of that work of grace in our lives, he's changed our attitude towards sin. Where now we lament our sin. We're sorry for our sin. We long to be delivered for our sin. We pray and ask God to forgive us for our sins. And we ask God to deliver us from our sins. Lord, make us more holy. Make us more righteous. Make us a different kind of people. To bring us to God includes the idea that we would live with God forever. First Peter 2.24 and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. We might die to sin, live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. In the book of Ephesians, the scripture teaches us that if we have died with Christ, we have also risen with Christ. He's talking about the mind of God. Last Sunday night, I talked about the certitude of God's purpose being accomplished. Talked about the immutability of God, that God's plans do not change. And as a result, the scripture speaks of Jesus, the one who is referred to as the Lamb of God because he's going to be sacrificed for sins. The scripture refers to Jesus as a lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Now that happened in point in time. That happened 2,000 years ago. But in the mind and purpose of God, that already occurred. Even before the foundation of the earth. It was a done deal. It was a done deal. Had to happen in point in time. There's going to be a point in time in which we are resurrected and we're in the presence of God. That hasn't happened yet. Point in time is future. 
to us. But it's coming. But it's a done deal. It's a certitude. Because God's purpose and plan will not fail. Because Jesus has accomplished it. And so Ephesians says that you have died with Christ, have also risen with Christ. In the mind of God, we are in His presence now and forevermore. It's already happened in the mind of God because of what Jesus has done. So 1 Peter 3.18 Having been put to death in flesh but made alive in His Spirit. In His resurrection, Jesus Christ conquered sin and death. Romans refers to Jesus being justified by His death, proven to be righteous because He rose from the dead. It's because Jesus rose from the dead that we will rise from the dead as well. As we go to the communion table, there are just a few things that I would like you to reflect upon. First, Jesus died on account of sins. And Jesus died in the place of sinners. Jesus Christ died on account of sins. And Jesus Christ died in the place of sinners. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. That's never been hard for me to accept. In my simple mind, that truth has always made sense. If there were some other way for us to be saved, don't you think God would have spared His Son? If there were some other way for us to be saved, don't you think that Jesus would have avoided the cross? There is no other way. There is no other way. And you can't be saved apart from Jesus' sacrifice. You can't be saved by your life. You can't be saved by your goodness. You can't be saved by other hopes, other religions. There's no other way. Or Jesus never would have died. And so as we go to the communion table, my question to you is quite simple. Have you trusted in Christ's death? To take away your sins. Are you trusting in that one sacrifice that was made when Jesus hung on the cross, died, and rose again as the means for being acceptable to God, as the means of paying for our wrongdoing, as a means for being in His presence forever and ever? Are you trusting? In the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, totally, alone, as a completed work to save you from your sins. Have you asked Jesus 
to be your Savior. If you never have, if you've never asked God to take that work of Jesus Christ and apply it to you, that your sins would be forgiven, I implore you this morning. Trust in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection as the means for your sins to be forgiven and to be made acceptable to God. Jesus died for sinners in order to bring us to God. We are celebrating communion this this morning. Communion. The Greek word that underlies communion is koinonia. And it's the word that is most often translated in the scriptures as fellowship. Fellowship. As we partake of communion this morning, we are celebrating fellowship. First, fellowship with God. That now, we are acceptable to God. Now, we are pleasing to God. Now, there's no more punishment that is going to be meted out to us. No more reproach. No more blame. We are going to be welcomed in the presence of God. We are going to abide with Him forever. That's the purpose of communion. First Corinthians, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until He comes. He's coming back. We're going to be with Him forever and ever and ever. And secondly, we celebrate our fellowship with one another. That's why we do it publicly. To acknowledge we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That what we have in common is our faith in Jesus Christ. And our faith in Jesus Christ has made us all equally acceptable and welcomed in the presence of God. For it's not about us. It's about Him and His work. So in just a few moments, we are going to partake of communion but before we do, let me say to you that the Scripture warns that you are to not partake of communion if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, for it would be a mockery. It would be a proclamation of showing something that you really don't believe. It's symbolic. We are saying we are partaking of the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then don't take communion. But I sit here this morning and say, you can accept Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning. And in an instant, be acceptable to God and partake of communion. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and I'm going to pray. And as we have our heads bowed, I'm just going to ask, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you never trusted in Jesus' death and resurrection as the sole payment for your sin. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand this morning. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to cite you by name, but I want to pray for God's grace upon you this day. So, if you would, let's bow our heads. Is there anyone here this morning that would like to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, acknowledge Jesus' Death is the means by which your sins are going to be forgiven. And you want your sins to be forgiven this morning. Would you raise your hand good and high? Yes, I see that hand. 
Anyone else this morning? Anyone else? Please just raise that hand good and high so I can see it. Yes? Anybody else? Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank You for the gift of salvation. For the work of the Lord Jesus. We know that it would be possible for any other way for a person to be saved. Jesus never would have had to die. But He died because it was the only way. Oh Lord, help us to realize that with the offering of Jesus, there's nothing better to be offered. There's nothing more to do. There's certainly nothing that we can add to it. And oh Lord, give us the calm assurance this morning of being acceptable in your sight because of what Jesus Christ has done. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Then ask our brethren to come forward and uh, they're going to serve the elements.